Thank you, Mark. Um, yeah, I have got a lot to say. Um, and the reading changed was, 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 was my fault because I decided um, to change the reading that we had for that reading because I'm going to use that reading as a template. Um, I spoke last month on um, God as the Father and we're looking at the different facets of God and today we're looking at God as the Holy Spirit. Um, Sarah very kindly spoke on, 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 on God as the Holy Spirit a couple of weeks ago and she looked at him through the eyes of comforter. But today I'm going to look at the Holy Spirit through the eyes of guide and guidance and what guidance he gives us. Paraclete is the name for the Holy Spirit and it often means comforter in the context of where it's given. But a lot of times it means teacher, instructor, mentor, guide. So looking at this subject, it raised questions, as it always does whenever I'm having a conversation with God. He's, he, he, I never shut up, I just keep bombarding with questions. And it raised the question, why do we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And how does the Holy Spirit guide us? So I'm going to look at those three questions. And the truth is, the Holy Spirit guides us so many ways. When I first um, took a day to write this, and I did my note form where I do two or three words instead of a sentence, at the end of the day I had 7,000 words. And I thought, oh dear, they're going to be here till midnight. So, I'm going to take the story of the woman at the well, and I looked at how the Holy Spirit guided and how it moved, and I'm just going to focus on those, but it is by no means an exclusive list of how the Holy Spirit guides. So, why do we need the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would often come upon somebody or, or fill, fill somebody as a prophet. And the first chappie that we meet is a guy called Bezalel. And the Holy Spirit comes on him and he's gifted and he's, his, his job is the kind of the interior designer of the temple. He is like the Lawrence Llewellyn of the temple. And the Holy Spirit comes on him and he's gifted with stone masonry and carpentry and metalwork. And you know when you kind of say, Lord, fill me, Spirit, fill me, that's the kind of feeling I want. But the reality is, quite often when the Holy Spirit turned up in the Old Testament, he turned up in the form of a prophet with conviction. And a prophet would walk into town and everybody else would try and leave because it was like, here comes bad news. There's a prophet on the loose. Here comes bad news. But I looked through the Old Testament and David summed it up beautifully why we need the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 119, verse 176, he simply said, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. And it's the sheep's hobby to escape, to get lost. It's their destiny. That's what they do. It's their part-time fun. I'm married to a farmer. He says sheep are only good for two things, dropping down dead, and getting out. That's it. And the reality is, David knew sheep. That's what sheep do. Jesus didn't quite know as much about sheep as David, of course, because when Jesus gave us the parable of the 99, if he'd really known them, the 99 would have been down the road and there'd only been one left in the field. 
But right now, he's going to see, back on the path, back on the path. So why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because we are programmed to go astray. We almost can't help ourselves. So we come to God. We get baptised in water. We get baptised by the Spirit. And you'll hear Christians say, fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, Lord. What does it mean? Fill me up. Fill me up with your spirit. How can we be filled up if God is omnipresent and he's everywhere? Surely he's there already. How can we ask him to go somewhere where he already is? Again, I looked at this through scripture and I kind of stalked the movement of the spirit a little bit. And that's okay because God knows I'm going to be a bit freaky about stuff like this. But I looked at the, the gap and the closeness of God. And in the Old Testament, we have Moses at the bottom of Sinai and God would often go, Come on, Moses, you can come and have a chat. You can come up the mountain, but nobody else can. And he kept the distance. I'm separate, I'm holy. And sometimes he'd say to Moses, okay, today you can bring Aaron up, but if anybody else steps foot on this mountain, they're brown bread. He kept a distance. We had the tabernacle built, and inside it was the room, the Holy of Holies. Only Moses could go. Only Moses could walk into the Shekinah, into the presence of God. And the reality is that carried on with the Day of Atonement with the Jews. That one day, only the high priest. There was a space. There was a gap. But then, when we kind of fast forward to the New Testament, we have Jesus, fully God, fully human. The Holy Spirit is kind of concentrated in his form. And the reality is that the Spirit of God moves closer into a human, perfect human, but into a human who's rubbing shoulders with imperfect humans. But then, of course, at ascension, Jesus goes, the Holy Spirit comes down, and the gap closes even more because the Holy Spirit then comes to reside in us, in our imperfections, in our fallings, and in our failures. So we pray, we pray, we say, Lord, come fill us up. And I thought, how is the best way to kind of give that? And I thought, oxygen. If you think of this room, we all know that this room has oxygen in it. It's everywhere. I know that because you're looking at me and you're breathing. That tells me there's oxygen in here. But if you walk into a hospital, you will find canisters with concentrated oxygen for patients that need it. So when we ask, Lord, fill us, let our bodies be a temple, fill us with your spirit, we're like asking for a top-up of that concentration of him. It's like opening a bank account when we're baptised in the Holy Spirit and having a deposit put in and saying, Lord, Put some more in, put some more in. I've likened it to oxygen, a bank account. Jesus, in the word that we just heard, likened it to living water. He said in the verse that we just heard in chapter 4, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to
to eternal life. The Holy Spirit is put so deep in us that it affects our nature and it bubbles up to the surface. Charles Spurgeon said, when a man is whipped into obedience, it is of little worth. But when obedience springs out of a life within, it's priceless. And the reality is when the Holy Spirit comes and he fills us, something changes. Our spiritual eyes are opened, our spiritual ears are opened. We are more sensitive to God's will, to God's way, to God's desire, to what God wants, to how God looks at things. I don't know if any of you saw Prince Harry on the news and he gave a talk this week and it was the first talk I'd seen where he just started to break down. And I thought, you must have given thousands of talks. What was the difference? The difference was the birth of his son. His senses had been heightened. And I can remember feeling that myself when I had my own kid. I can remember just something changed. And being born again spiritually, it's like something, something inside changes. There's a heightening. So, we know why we need the Holy Spirit. We go astray. We know what it means to be filled up. We're asking for that concentration. So the, this is the big question. How does he guide us? Well, the Holy Spirit often convicts before he comforts. A bit like a true friend telling you the truth that you don't want to hear. I thought about it and I think quite often that's the tone of the Holy Spirit that we, we tune into first, that we recognise first. Because I can have a situation like, do I go for this job? Do we, do we do that? How do you want me to minister? Where do you want me to move? How do you want me to work, Lord? And I can pray for days or weeks or months until I really feel I've, I've, I've got God's answer. But if I hear somebody saying something not very nice about somebody else, painting them black, saying something a bit disparaging. If I then go to repeat it before those words have left my mouth, this voice says, uh-uh, that's not the right thing to do. I hear that voice a lot clearer. I'm tuned into the conviction a lot more. Hosea, a prophet in the Old Testament, he said in um, chapter 10, verse 11, if we sow on unbroken ground, it is fruitless. The plough must break up the clods. And the plough is the Holy Spirit that breaks up the clods. And the, re the reality is, until humanity is convinced of its sin, it won't look to the Holy Spirit for guidance. That's why Jesus said, you know, the physician comes for the sick. And the thing is, in the West, we've, we've got all these nice things you know, the reality is we get up in the morning, we get up in our nice car, our nice 4x4, four four. guilty, got one. We go to work, we earn money, we come back, we put food on the table, guilty. Nice roof over our head, guilty, paying to, paying to our pension plan. And the reality is, quite often, we can replace the comforter with comforts. I'm not saying that, that, that wealth is wrong, but it has to have its place. And when it takes the place of God, it has its, it's in its wrong place. The Holy Spirit 
makes us aware by making us aware of our sin. And it's a real divine wisdom that we are stripped before we are clothed. So the Holy Spirit guides us through conviction, points us in the right direction. The Holy Spirit, number two, also guides us through witnessing. I'm going to read a little snapshot of scripture, a little cameo of scripture. And this is Simon the Sorcerer. And it's, this is in Acts, and it's just a, bit, a little bit of chapter eight. In verse nine, it says, Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and he had amazed all of the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all of the people, both high and low, they gave him their attention, and they exclaimed, This man is rightly called a great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But then when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they became baptized, both the men and the women. Simon himself believed. He became baptized and he started to follow Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. Quick fast forward to verse 18. When Simon saw that the spirit was given by the laying on of hands, he offered the apostles money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will also receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. So imagine the scene, imagine it. You've got this city and you've got this fortune teller, Simon the sorcerer, and he's making money. He's making money really out of people's ignorance. He's making money using the wrong kind of spirituality. And then in walks Philip. Philip full of the Holy Spirit. And he witnesses. And let's face it, what's in Simon the Sorcerer knows, bigger fish in town, we're out of here. And he's left powerless. He's outshone. He's been outshone by the witnessing of the Holy Spirit through Philip. And the reality is, people notice. Even when you've got the Holy Spirit and you don't say anything, people notice. There's a a shoot that Mark and I are um, a, a part of, in fact, it was a past shoot we were a part of, and 99.9% um, .9 of people that know me know I'm a Christian because I can't help it. It just comes out. Hi, I'm Sue, and I love Jesus. That's just how I am. And we joined this shoot, and I thought, okay, I'm going to be a covert Christian. I'm actually not going to say anything. I'm going to keep myself to myself. I'm going to be really good, and I'm not going to blab it out. And we went on the shoot, and we went back to the pub, and we had a couple of beers, Christian that drinks beer, and we were sat in the pub, and the guy said, oh, he said, um, there was a group of them, about 10 of the guns, he said, come on, we decided the guns are all going to go for a meal, and Mark said, oh, not tonight, mate, not tonight, we, we'll, we'll go back in an hour, he said, no, no, come on, we're going to go out and have, 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 we're going to have a few more drinks, and Mark said, no, 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 he said, why not, we've had a good day, we've got a lot of birds, we're in a good mood, let's go and celebrate, Mark said, no, 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 he said, no, no, my missus is preaching tomorrow, he went, that's it. That's what's different. You're a Christian. 
there was something about you. I couldn't tell what it was, but I knew there was something about you. People notice. When we speak, the Spirit pours out. But even if we don't say anything, people notice. The reality is I'm stood here speaking to you, and I'm only getting your attention. If anybody's hearts are being won here, it's not me. It's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. No evangelist, no missionary can ever win the heart of somebody. Only the Holy Spirit does that. In Zechariah, God says in chapter 4, verse 6, it's not by might, it's not by power, but by my spirit. And the reality is quite often people come up and they go, oh, that your word really spoke to me, it's moved me, I've, I felt I wanted to do this or I want to minister with that, or it, there's something there really for me to chew on. And they say, thank you, and I'm like, that's, that's, that's very flattering. But it's not me. I am just a vehicle, a vessel, a conduit for the Holy Spirit to work out of today in front of you. So the Holy Spirit guides with conviction. He guides through witnessing. And he also guides through the word of God. Jesus came along and he would sit down with the likes of Mary and Martha and the disciples and he would share the word and he would, he would explain things to them. He would take scriptures from the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and he would explain them and he would reveal them. And that's what the Holy Spirit does now. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. There is nothing more going to be revealed. It's, we've already got it. The mystery might yet need to be explained by the Holy Spirit, but it's all here. There's nothing else to add to it. Charles Spurgeon said, there is enough in the Bible for you to live on forever. If your life should outnumber the years of Methuselah, there will be no need for fresh revelation. If you should live until Christ comes back upon the earth, there will be no necessity for the addition of a single word. If you should go down as deep as Jonah or descend as David said that he did into the belly of hell, there would be enough in the Bible to comfort you. Who explains the mysteries in here? Right now, the Holy Spirit. We, we were saying on Tuesday night, um, I'm doing Tony Bird's, I've taken on his, his course where we walk through the Bible and we journey through it. And yes, to a degree at one level, it's a study of the Bible. And we look at the political and the historical and what's going on and the story and the flow of what God's doing, what he did, where he's going, and where it's all going to end up. And, 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 and we, look at the, the, we do look at the details, but we look at a different level, which is what is the Holy Spirit saying to you personally in it? Yes, we're looking at history. Yes, we're looking at his story. But what's God saying to you? Because the reality is you can read a chapter a verse and you can read it a hundred times and then on the hundred and first time you'll get a fresh revelation and you'll go I didn't see that before how long has that been there it's a living word sometimes it speaks something I'm pers I've personally wrestled with at the moment is sometimes it's silent 
And I'll go, I know there's something there, Lord. What is it? And he'll go, you don't need to know yet. You don't need to know yet. The Holy Spirit guides with conviction, witnessing, and the word. And the Holy Spirit guides us towards life. There was one particular event in creation that the Holy Spirit was really especially involved in, and that was the conception of Jesus. And I love it in Luke 1, um, in, in, in verse 35, when Gabriel rocks up to Mary. And he says, hello, Mary. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy Spirit, sorry, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Resurrection the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit will be seen in humanity in the future. Do you remember Ezekiel in the Old Testament when he had his visions of, his, of, of the dry bones and, and the Spirit came on and, and, and God said, speak, speak to the bones and the bones rattled and they connected and then they got covered in the sinews and the meat and the flesh and he said, speak, let them breathe. And it was like a, a, a taster, an aperitif of what we've got coming and the reality is that the Holy Spirit wants us all rubber-stamped, child of God, blood-purchased, heaven-bound. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he, that's the Holy Spirit, that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. The Holy Spirit isn't just in charge of physical birth as it was with Jesus. It's in charge of the spiritual birth. In John 1.13 it says, The heirs of heaven are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of man, but of God. We can't improve our old nature. We have to be born again of the Spirit. This was what Nicodemus wrestled with in the middle of the night with Jesus. And quite often if you've got an issue, you might find that you wrestle with it in the middle of the night with Jesus. And he's like, how can I be born again? I'm a fully grown man. My mum's already given birth to me. How can, how can I be born again? And Jesus is trying to say to him, you've had your spiritual birth, but you've got to have, you've had your physical birth, but you've got to have a spiritual birth. To conclude, the woman at the well, I used her story because the, rea the reality is the Holy Spirit through Jesus convicted her, witnessed to her, revealed the word to her, and then guided her towards life, towards living water. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit continues to do now. I'm going to touch on a subject, and it's the subject of the unforgivable sin. The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. I read a book a while back, and it was on about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit isn't just words. Yes, it's words, but it's also action. And it breaks my heart when I, I walk down the high street or I turn telly on or I open a magazine 
and you, and, you, and you hear people just saying OMG, and, and it, 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 it doesn't even register what they've said. Or they'll, you know, they'll, 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 they'll exclaim, you know, oh, Jesus Christ, and they, they've got, there's no reverence. And the reality is, I'll take any swear word, but that cuts when it's blaspheming, it cuts deep. And I was reading, it was on about the, the Holy Spirit, it, 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 the blaspheming of it, 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 it it's, it's interesting because it's, no, it's not done. God the Father's blasphemed, Jesus is blasphemed, but not the Holy Spirit. And the reality is, if we read about God the Father in the Old Testament, we may choose to reject him. But then along comes Jesus, and we can read and see if we get that bit, the second part of the Trinity. And if we read the New Testament and all the miracles and everything that Jesus did in the resurrection, and we reject him, there is only one third left of the, of, of, of the Trinity. And that's the Holy Spirit that's working now. And if he's rejected now, there's no fourth option. There's no plan D. We either accept or reject, but that's it. It's all there. It's all being revealed to us. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. But the Holy Spirit hasn't said that yet. Jesus is working through the Holy Spirit now, reaching people. This is, the, this is where we are. We're between the ascension where Jesus went back to heaven and the second coming. We're between thy kingdom come and thy kingdom coming. It's like Jesus won the battle and he did. He totally won the battle on the cross, but he hasn't collected the prize. At the ascension, Jesus didn't shut up shop. He didn't decide to take some time out in lieu, have a holiday, have a catnap on a cloud. He carries on working now through the Holy Spirit. And while Jesus was on the planet and he was walking around, a human being rubbing shoulders with, I don't know, hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people, the Holy Spirit is carrying on his work now with millions, if not billions of people around the planet. We have this present-day disease and it's like godlessness. A lot of humanity has departed from the knowledge of God and the Holy Spirit is guiding people away from that disease and back towards Jesus. And the reality is that when we say, fill us up, God gets our hearts, our desire to share his word. I've got a candle here. And the reality is that when we get filled... The change comes from the inside out. I'm in a draft. Can I light it? Yeah. You can polish the outside of this as much as you want, but it won't make it any more effective. The world won't tell you that. The world will say, the fashion industry, plastic surgeons, they'll say what's on the outside that matters. But the reality is, the big change comes from the inside. When we pray to the God, when we pray to God and we say, fill us with your spirit, top us up, top us up with oxygen, top us up with living water, whichever metaphor you want to use, that's when the change comes. 
And there's an irony there, because we think that when we stand there and we go, Lord, top us up, fill us up, we think that we are getting more of God. But the reality is, God is getting more of us. Amen.